What is up, wrestling fans? Welcome to another pay-per-view point edition of the Smartout Moments Mac Talk Podcast. It's time for us to talk about AEW's Double or Nothing 2020 pay-per-view, which just went down a few moments ago. So we're going to give you our quick thoughts, our first impressions, a rundown of the card, the results, breakdown, everything else that we normally do here on the pay-per-view point results post-show. I'm your host as always, Tony Mango, and joining me as always are our usual suspects of Robert D. Felice. Hello. And Callum Wiggins. I'm a happy camper. You're a happy camper. Uh, Rob, are you going camping as well? I'm not going camping, but it warms my heart that Callum's a happy camper. <laughs> I've never it's gone red, camping I in know. my life. I don't think I ever will. But uh, I'm on the, the positive spectrum here. That's good. Hopefully everybody else is too that's listening here. Um, obviously... Whether you are on the, uh, the happy side or the not-so-happy side, tell us your thoughts anyway in the comments section below. And as I've mentioned every time that I keep bringing this up, all the time in the going the future as well, uh, if you are listening to us on a platform that does not have a comment section on it, like Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or something like that, then hop on over to one that does. And if you don't want to necessarily take part of something like the YouTube channel or something like that, then go to the page on smartcutmoment.com or send a tweet at smartcutmoment or post something on the Facebook or something like that. But the best way to communicate with us and to keep the discussion going is to go on the video of uh, the YouTube channel. And while you're there, hit the like button as well to give us a little bit of a boost on the search algorithm. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done that already. And ring that little notification bell. That way you'll be aware of when videos get posted, when we go live, and anything else that you might want to get with those notifications. But yeah, tell us your thoughts on this event. Tell us your thoughts on our thoughts on this event. Because we're about to run that down here. Uh, starting with uh, the buy-in. There was a number one contenders match. It was a tag team uh, match between Best Friends and Private Party. Uh, not a bad match. It was one of those things where... If it wasn't for a number one contender spot, I think I would have been a little bit more down on it because it would have just felt like it was kind of pointless, but it did its job. It, you know, it was whetting the appetite type of thing. And I'm glad the best friends won. So it was for something. It kind of ate up a little bit of time. It wasn't bad. And eh, thumbs up when it comes to that. How are you guys feeling? Imagine that. Stakes in a match. Make you care about the match. I thought it was good. I like the little uh, tribute to Crime Time with their finishing move by the private party. And Best Friends won because that was the right call. All positive things. Uh, I hate to actually start this on a low note, considering how much I enjoyed this show. But I thought this match was really bad. Why? Because yeah, private party botched half their moves. In this entire thing, there was that tornado DDT that uh, they attempted from, I don't know what they call that, they call it the slingback or something along those lines where. Oh, the silly string? Yeah, the silly string, where they basically landed, he landed right on top of Brett's leg and seemed to injure Brett at that point. So they had to make up with that. There was a lot of like Hurricane Rana spots that went awry and a mixture of dives dives that just didn't connect it looks like private party were very ring rusty i think like the actual story it told in the match was fine if it what did go a little bit long which is usually the story for a lot of AEW matches yeah but yeah i just don't think that it was like private party in particular i think the best friends were fine but they've been wrestling regularly so they're 
in ring shape and they've been competing quite often. I think the private party's performance kind of let it drop this down a level. Well, at this point, AEW matches having botches in them and going too long is just a regular thing for me. So I'm almost kind of like editing that out of my perception of the matches too. But I do have a note written down that says the whole series of moves leading to the G9 was a total mess. And when you have to redo moves and stand around and wat, uh, wait for each other to do things, then it breaks the immersion. So, yeah, they were very they're very slow as well. Like every time they were doing Irish whips and running towards stuff, it looked like, uh, particularly with uh, I think it was Quen, they just seemed to be like stepping to it like like a fast jog rather than actually running. So yeah, I just I don't think Private Party put on a very good performance in this match. This was not my least favorite match of the night, but it wasn't my favorite either. It was just one of those, like, uh, it sort of did its job. I'm not the biggest private party fan, so I wasn't expecting to love it. Didn't feel a big, big letdown or anything like that. But I think we're all in agreement. Best friends winning is the right call, right? Yeah, absolutely. So let's move to the first match of the main card. It was the casino ladder match. Uh, Before we get into, like, the specifics of what happened, who the mystery person was, all that stuff, how did you guys feel about the intervals? Uh, I didn't. Mind I mean, it it's it's it's, it's it's a it's a trademark now of AEW's thing, so I guess I'm kind of used to it. And I don't think it I don't think it hampered the match in any way. But you're right. I thought it was. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I'm not gonna lie. As much as you would think, well, this is dumb because you can win the match before everybody gets involved. It played out really well, and it allowed everybody to shine in ways that didn't involve like. Okay, I need to sell a forearm for ten minutes because this guy's gonna do his shit. Yeah, I don't know if this is something that it's gonna be harder to do going forward the more that they do, or if this maybe figured out one of the little flaws with a regular ladder match that has so many people, but I thought it worked a lot better than I thought that it would. As did the uh poker chip hanging. I didn't think that that looked all that bad. Kinda neat. Um one of my notes here. I got uh, Darby Allen jumping off the ladder with a skateboard reminds me so much of Jeff Hardy setting himself up for failure in these types of matches. That was probably the yeah. biggest spot of the night, if I remember, outside of like, you know, maybe some other things for the stampede and stuff. But like, uh, as far as the ladder match goes. Yeah, that was probably the, the scariest and dumbest looking spot in the entire thing. Because, yeah, just trying to jump onto Kazarian on a ladder bridge with a skateboard and then just completely missing and crashing and burning, just going leg first into those ladders. Just, I mean, I hope this guy never does injure himself, but he's he's aiming towards that with his current style of wrestling. Yeah, he's begging for it. <laughs> yeah. Darby Allen doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I, I love it. I think Darby Allen is going to be such a big star and. It was weird, but it was very much his own thing. I do want to call attention real quick to limiting these crazy spots as much as you can, because as we've seen, Ray Phoenix was not in this match because he decided to do a full-on twisting corkscrew plancha and on dynamite and just, you know, landed hard on the floor and had to be replaced. Well, Jimmy Havoc didn't even really do like a spot. He ended up falling weird and like uh smacking onto the ladder in the corner 
But sometimes, I mean, you can do some crazy stuff here where you can just slip and just make it even worse for yourself or so. And Darby Allen volunteering to be like, I'm going to jump off uh, the thing with my skateboard and just land awkwardly. Not not a good time. It was fun to watch. As was um, Orange Cassidy. I really liked that. Uh, I didn't catch this before, or if I did, I forgot about it, that they bill him as um, being from wherever and weighing whatever. Yeah, and they yeah. do that every week. And that they refer to him as the laconic and sloth-like Orange Cassidy. I loved having him uh, try to figure out a way that he could just grab the chip without getting a ladder and then standing on the ladder horizontally and everything like that. I just, he's awesome. He's my favorite by far. I enjoyed the fact that him going up to comment the commentary table before making his entrance and just asking them what he has to do. Yeah. Or like, do I have to actually get up there and climb the ladder? I'm just like, ah, shit. <laughs> I did do like it. It's it's something that you're only gonna see from one character. They need to keep it to one character because he works. But I thought this was a shining moment for him. Just to backtrack slightly before moving ahead, it was kind of feeding into what I think we mentioned, alluded to at least a little bit on the pre-show: the idea of Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian maybe breaking up down the line because they decided to start with those two against each other. And there were instances throughout the match where you kind of got the impression that they might be having a few like wedges in the SCU faction. Like the, I think there was a spot where I think it was Kip Sabian or yeah, yeah it might have been Kip Sabian hits uh, uh, Frankie Kazarian on the ladder with a steel chair, and yeah. then uh, Scorpio Sky hit. Uh, Sabian with it and then Frankie turned around and thought that it was actually Scorpio Sky with the chair that hit him and then you have the spot towards the end with them both climbing up the ladder and fighting on top of it so maybe they maybe it's not like a long-term thing but I could imagine them having a match sometime in the next couple of weeks just to air out any frustrations that could work Uh... for sure I mean you got a new uh, secondary belt to fight for and they're going to split up eventually anyway so if they're going to do a feud, they can do a feud. If they want to just sort of transition somebody a little bit in one way or another, it's going to be Scorpio. But Christopher Daniels has been sort of on the outs a little bit here and there. And it seems like almost from the very beginning that SCU has been sort of like at some point they're going to break up. So the hammer is going to fall at some point. Um, We had our ninth uh, competitor and it started out with Taz's voice. And I was like, holy fuck, is Taz wrestling? <laughs> just kind of like. That's not gonna happen. But he says, um yeah, he introduces Brian Cage, who we I You're not we, familiar with, I imagine. I'm a little bit familiar with him. Not super well. I, I've seen like one or two of his matches or so. And he competed at uh all in, I think, right? He was in the battle royal. Okay. Yeah, so I, I know I've or seen he him pers- in that or- I don't know. I think he was. Something. I, I've seen like one or two of his impact matches or so, and he was just one of those guys that he has a good build to him and everything. He's huge. Seems like he would be better fit in WWE in some capacity, but the fact that he stands out so different from the people on AEW is pretty awesome. I think he's a pretty good addition to the roster in that way. I haven't seen any of his matches to really be like, you know, okay, well, he's you know consistently great or consistently bad. From what I've seen, he seemed okay, so... Thumbs up as far as I'm concerned when it comes to just him popping up and also him winning the match for that matter. I know JR had referenced this on his podcast a while ago, but they've done a great job in 
getting athletic big men. Brody Lee, Brian Cage, uh, Archer, Wardlow are all great different pieces to the puzzle. And they're going to add some depth to the roster. Yeah, Cage is a great addition. He's obviously got the power advantage. And due to the size of a lot of other people in AEW, he's going to stand out very well. But he's also incredibly athletic. I mean, the most fun part section of the match for me was the exchange between him and Luchasaurus. Yeah. Because you just saw two guys who should really just be doing a load of, like maybe in like 20, 30 years ago, be just doing a load of bear hugs and uh, like like just forearms to the face. And they were doing like savart kicks and flipping out at each other's uh, choke slams and stuff along those lines. They're, they're really, really freakishly talented. And I think that it's a really good move to have him on the roster because he's someone who can mix it up with, from what I've seen anyway, can really mix it up with any style of wrestler and make it work. Uh, so him winning is also good because it could like hit him facing Moxley, I think could work out well, but obviously we don't know what the circumstances are surrounding when he's he going to cash in or like when can he cash in that uh, world championship opportunity? Because it seems like at least initially the thing that makes the most sense is a feud with Darby Allen. Although it's funny because he was towering over him. Like he made Darby yeah, Allen seem like a little child or something. <laughs> that, we did what... kind of... We called this, but we thought it would be uh, Jeff Cobb instead, who I think matches Taz's style a little bit more. But Brian Cage is good. I'm interested to see where they go with Taz. I'm not the biggest fan of a, you know, Taz post-retirement. I think he lost a lot of his team a while ago, but I'm willing to give it a shot. I think Taz has been significantly more... uh insightful and useful to AEW than he was in his last stages in WWE and definitely during his entire run in TNA. Yeah, he's not saying yeah, bag. I appreciate that. Yeah, so I think that he could work because like the the mouthpiece, not that Brian Cage needs a mouthpiece from what I've seen from some of his promo work, but just to be that veteran introducing him to a new audience. I think that... Yeah, the stuff that he was doing with Alan, even though again it was scary, like the idea of just hoisting him up into a onto that ladder and then just throwing him off is again just Alan having a bit of a death wish about him. I did but think, that's what's getting him over. I did think it was funny that he put him on there and he was slipping and falling, so they're like, cut away. <laughs> he reset that back up. Yeah, the, 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 I guess the one like overarching negative that I have this match is that there was too much outside interference. A lot of that. I mean, it's already an, it's already a nine man match. You need to have. I think the Jimmy Havoc thing made sense because Sabian is a coward, and so it makes sense that he'd if in a no disqualification match he'd get all the other stuff involved. But then best friends coming down and uh, Marco Stun getting involved, and Taz it just was too many moving and... parts. Really, yeah, just too many moving parts. I... It seems like AEW they have a small roster. And they're just so damn determined to have, let everybody get their shit in that it sometimes hurts them. I have another little note that I had forgotten about that says, uh, Jimmy Havoc better not use that tie to choke out J- Justin Roberts instead of Orange Cassidy. Just ask Daniel Bryan what happens. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I, I like the idea of Brian Cage going forward with that, and I think that he might be a good option for the next champion. Especially if they make this like Money in the Bank style, where you can cash in at any time. They still didn't really clarify that yet, so I don't know if that's how they're playing this out, or if this is basically like, you have to call your shot in advance and be like, you know, oh, I'm going to fight you at all out. But it might be like the, the spur of the moment cash in type of thing. I think it would be a little on the nose if it was the spur of the moment thing. Especially because of the fact they had to win it in a ladder match as well. Yeah, maybe it'll be like you can call your shot, but you have to have a match. Like later on that night or something like that? Or like, yeah, like you have to give the champion time. You can't just WWE it, for lack of a better term, and just, you know, I'm going to fight you right now. Bring the bell. I think yeah, that they yeah, might be uh, not had... specifying it because they might not even know either. No. I mean, they, they had something in uh, Lucha Underground, which was fairly similar, which was a, a title called the Gift of the Gods Championship, where you could essentially trade in that title belt in order to challenge the next week for the World Championship. So they could do something along those lines. I think, I'd be down for it. I think even though it's biting off of the money in the bank, I think the spur of the moment cash in is the most exciting thing but you know they can prove me wrong you know there's always an option to do something else and especially since it's only one of them so far they could get away with almost anything at this point if they wanted to do something where he challenges moxley for all out then he could just say it ahead of time and then it doesn't have to set the standard they could always change it in the future especially because i think that in the future they'll probably do the casino battle royale again instead of this but i don't know we'll see um, let's move to MJF against Jungle Boy. MJF wins by pinfall instead of, uh, I thought he'd win with the Salt of the Earth finisher. I was a little bit surprised about that. Good match. I don't think they want, uh, Jungle Boy tapping out. Maybe not. I liked it. I didn't love it. I have it as one of the highlights, but it was one of those things that I don't really remember too much specifically about it afterward. Um, you know, it was like the chop fest and just like, Solid back and forth action. Not something that's super duper memorable, but I liked it. Um, this was my favorite match outside that great. actually took place within the arena. Yeah, this was an awesome match. Uh, it's just so it's old school, but with a new like spin on it because these guys have a great deal of athleticism and ability. So I don't. It's like if you could go back and watch the Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat type matches. But then you've like Ricky Steamboat at some point pulls off a a Dragon Rana on the ring apron. <laughs> like that, like it's that sort of it's the it's got the stuff that the indie guys would like, but it's got the bare nuts and bolts of just a very solid traditional wrestling match. And yeah, I think even though we were pretty certain going into it, this match would be good, and these two are like the future of wrestling. I'm as convinced now as I ever will be that these two are who will be the top stars in professional wrestling in the next five to ten years. I do have to disagree with you about one thing. This was not the match with the bare nuts. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> Come on, I had to do that. If I wouldn't have done that, I would have hated myself. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I'd be okay if you hate yourself. <laughs> More than I already do? Come on, I don't have that much wiggle room. <laughs> you like this a lot too, though, Rob? I loved it. They're fantastic, and they put these two together because they knew 
that they would have a great match. And it was just, it was everything it needed to be. And MJF continues to wiggle his way up the roster by any means necessary. And he's eventually going to be champion. I don't know if he'll beat Moxley, but he's a strong candidate to do so. Yeah, I love the fact that they emphasized the fact that MJF has been beaten. Or at least, like, he has lost the match, but that was just in a fatal four way. He hasn't been pinned or made to submit yet. And even though they, even though I highlighted the fact that they were doing, like, the reverse Hurricane Ranas and, like, the cravat suplexes and all this other cool stuff, it was, like, some really basic stuff. Like, um, I think at one point Jungle Boy blocks a chop attempt by uh, MJF by just kicking his arm while he's chopping. And I thought, that's so simple. And I've never, ever seen that in a match before. I don't think I've ever seen anyone block a chop of a kick before. And yeah, it was just the constant selling of the shoulder injury. So when Jungle Boy got a cross face on, he couldn't hold on for it for long enough because the work that had been done on the shoulder. It's just really, really simple, but effective stuff. Like It was excellent. Absolutely excellent. Uh, let's see. That transitioned us over into the TNT championship match. Uh, we got to talk about the belt first. I'm the not, belt isn't finished, thank God. I'm still not feeling it, but see, the part that's not finished is the plating, right? Yeah. I hate... It said there's been gold plating. Yeah, I actually don't mind the silverish kind of tone to it. I hate the red strap, and that's finished. <laughs> I don't mind the red strap except for the influence, which is the I okay, this is me speculating. I shouldn't say it's fact, but like I think it comes from the NWA television championship. And to me, it's a little too much with the well, we just want to be like we want to call back to the NWA. I also don't like that the center plate is so plain. Very plain. I it's just it's too plain for me. I mean, I spent way too much time tonight nitpicking the championship, but I will say, I I think it'll grow on me. Like to be fair, the TNT logo is very plain because every network logo is very plain. I mean, they can't really have a little bug in the corner that's super uh, complex and you know a whole ornate kind of thing going all over the place. But I think you can get around it a little bit better than just a circle with TNT on the inside like but to me the bigger deal is I hate that red strap I hate every single colored strap like that if whether it's well that's a personal vendetta you have I don't know why you just you don't like colored straps it just looks ugly to me like whether it's like orange or purple or green or red or blue or whatever none of them look good to me it's only the black and the white ones that look good to me I just see things in black and white I guess I don't know but I think adding the gold plating to it's going to make it look worse because I think gold and red don't work as well together as silver and red too. And I kind of like the idea of the mid card title being silver. So knowing that it's going to look like that, but it's going to get a little bit worse too. It doesn't make me feel any better about it. But How do it... you like the Turner mansion on the uh, side plates? Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's ridiculous. Really? They put that down in there. Yeah. Ugh. I hate it even more. <laughs> it's not the worst title, you know. There's been plenty worse. There's plenty uglier ones. I'd rather have this than the European Championship, for instance. But Callum, please lambast us for talking way too much about the design <laughs> of a championship. Well, I think it's just like anything. It's like when the Universal Championship was uh, 
that was uh, first unveiled. It was something that people complained about and on the surface and it was quite ugly. Yeah. And then two or three weeks later, nobody cared about it anymore. So, so that's going to be what the case is for this championship. That happens with some things, but I'm pretty sure that everybody still thinks that those uh, Sentinel head tag titles are friggin' disgusting. Oh yeah, but like no one, no, but yeah, but it's not like anyone just immediately. Then yeah, like nobody's talking. They jump about into the, it if like one person in a blue moon talks about it, but other times they're just like, okay, it's just there. At the end of the day, it's a title. Twenty four seven title anymore. Yeah, the most important thing is like the actual feuds and the people that's holding the championship. The title design. Obviously, you want to have a great title design more times than not, but it's not really going to be a big deciding factor in how great a championship will be. Yeah, to be fair, too, it's not my least favorite AEW title. That's the women's. You still not a fan of the women's? Yeah, not a fan of the egg shape at all. That still looks ridiculous. But, uh, you know, that's that's an element to this. Another element to it was Mike Tyson, ringside. He was having a ball. He had fun. <laughs> he had fun. He is cheering and booing each uh, side. And yawning. <laughs> Just, I, I don't quite understand why they needed to put him out there, but okay, you know. Because they could. I think it's, it's fine like, if you want to have this kind of celebrity touch onto it. I love the fact that um, I think when I was on Fight TV and I was checking through these things, they have uh, Mike Tyson's fight record on, uh, like, as what, because he was listed as like one of the people appearing on the show. I just thought, Surely the last time Tyson actually fought was way before Fight TV even got started, and yet they've got his like record in there as a case that he's going to make a big comeback at some point. Well, that's what he's aiming for. I know, but it's, <laughs> it's dumb, and I hope that he doesn't do that either. Uh, but I don't, I don't think they need to be cutting to him at ringside as wildly often as they were doing, especially because in fact that at one point they did cut to him and he was just stretching out and yawning and completely bored of what he was seeing in front of him and they had to just immediately cut back to the action in the ring because of that how did you guys feel about the match itself i liked it i thought it, that it was pretty it was fine like a standard cody procedure where he's got a little bit more psychology than a lot of other matches do and that it paid off pretty well because archer looked good you know he's got like power moves cody's the underdog fighting back and cody wins in the end with uh two crossroads which makes sure that lawrence archer doesn't look like he could just take one of them and lose i thought it was pretty good yeah i thought it was a great match you know oh great little stretch but it was like you said standard cody procedure a lot of Gaga, a lot of uh, Arn Anderson gets kicked out and yells bullshit. And then um, Jake, who it seemed like Arn Anderson was kind of on the side of, tries to bring out a snake and then Arn Anderson, you know, backs him off and Jake runs away scared of Mike Tyson. And Cody wins quick. Lance Archer can bounce back from this. I think it was a mistake to have Archer go up against Cody in such an important match, and you knew Cody had to win. But I think we'll be able to get over it. Yeah, I think this was a, a really good match. You know what you're getting with Cody. It's a lot of melodrama. It's a lot of gargo, as Rob says. It's um, it's more leaning towards a storytelling element, but it's still well-wrestled. I thought Archer was presented as the monster that he was, and Cody took one hell of a beating during it. I mean... He was thrown for like gorilla press slammed over the top of the ring, like from the ring, over the ring post to the floor. 
So he he took a beating to win this title. I think that there were some interesting hints towards it, like Cody hit a DT at one point, which obviously infuriated Roberts, and then Archer followed that up by hitting a spine buster. So I don't think it's out of the real possibility, even though I think it would be a huge mistake if they did some sort of mixed tag team match. <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a mixed tag team match. It would just be a tag team match. Well, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, it's basically, it's basically a mixed tag team match because, like, I, I imagine... Kind of way. Yeah, yeah. If, any, if they're going to get any sort of involvement, it'll be just for a couple of seconds and they'd only be fighting each other. Well, but... JR, I just I have to call out Cranky JR because it's becoming like, I guess I didn't, I tried to ignore it for as long as possible and now it's just grinding my gears every time. Cody hits the DDT and then JR just feels the need to go, well, Jake does it better. Because at least when Jake does a DT, people actually stay down. And it's like, Jesus, Jim, it's not about that right now. You know, like, Jim just seems so cranky. Push. And I, I don't think there's any coming back for him. Jim's great. Stop stop having a go. It's like, he. I'm still, like, listening to all these ones and thinking... Yeah, he might still he might be obviously older and he's definitely not as good as he was back in the like nineties and early two thousands. Still way better than any WWE commentator they have right now. I can't yeah, agree with I've been that liking Shivani better. Yeah, Shivani's the best out of the, the bunch that they've got. Oh Shivani's better than him, yeah, but he's but I'd still i I'd say both of them are better than any WWE commentator right now. Well, I'm not arguing with you on that point. I'm just saying Jim's been but, very cranky lately and it's been getting to me. Uh, I, I think it was quite interesting that Cody hit a stinger splash at one point in this match. Yeah, I think it might be a prelude to something. I'm telling you, I see Sting in AEW. By uh, he's going all out. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a part of it in some fashion for sure. Whether he wrestles or he presents a championship or he becomes a mentor to somebody, he's doing something for sure. Uh, so we have uh, Cody wins the title. Good way to go about that. We already kind of talked about that, so I don't really uh, think we need to hit up that for the most part. But what I do think that we need to hit on is a couple of plugs really quickly in the middle of this. One of them being the Patreon. Obviously, if you want us to do more talk about whatever you want us to talk about, then there are plenty of different avenues to do that. You you could always just express that opinion, and we'll take that into consideration. But if you want to make sure we do something in particular, then check out the Pick Your Poison tier on Patreon, because if you donate to that tier then you can actually dictate what to, uh, type of uh, special feature that we're going to do or like a gimmick kind of thing on the smart out moment side of things or the fanboys anonymous side of things. Cause if you don't know fanboys anonymous is my website about movie reviews and things on the geek culture spectrum and has the same sort of setup as the uh, smart cap moment Patreon. So even if it's a dollar, it goes a long way. And it just helps us keep the lights on. But $10 and up gives you access to the Patreon exclusive episodes. And then when you get to the mailbag priority and you get to the pick your poison tier, then you get a little bit more of uh, control over what we do on this. So if you got the spare change, consider tossing it our way. And another way to do that is the merchandise shops on TeePublic and Redbubble. There are both TeePublic and Redbubble shops for Smart Guy Moment, Fanboys Anonymous, and A Mango Tees. So go ahead and browse all those designs. There's plenty of different products for each of those designs as well. Somebody recently just bought uh, earlier today. One, I don't know quite why, but they got one of the masks of the thing that says Ant-Man is on my shirt. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. So 
Somebody out there is going to wear a mask that says Ant-Man is on my shirt and points to that. I don't get it, but if you're out there, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you know, there's plenty of different options like that. So by all means, go ahead and browse. And if you see something that's interesting, pick it up. If you have an idea that you don't see out there, then toss it my way and I'll see what I can do. Move on over to the Chris Statlander beating Penelope Ford match. This was originally supposed to be Brett Baker instead of Statlander, and Baker is out with an injury that they are going to address on Dynamite. And uh, it was just a filler match. I really have literally nothing to say about it. Yeah, uh, they addressed Baker's injury a little bit here. Said it's a torn LCL and a bit of a tibia injury as well. And Baker is such a role model that she's going to address the public herself on Dynamite. Yeah, this is... Uh, there's nothing wrong with this match. It just didn't have anything going for it and wasn't particularly memorable in any way. But in, right. in uh, it's it's good to give these uh, girls a platform because they they are talented and they, it was it wasn't like this match was botch laden or was terrible in any stretch of the imagination. Just that the show was or, already going to go three out like well over three hours, like close to four hours even. So you probably could have I probably would have been. I wouldn't say happier, but would have been okay if this had been just left off and not happened at all. Yes. Which I could probably say about the, the match that followed yes. it as well. Yeah, uh, we should just go into that because that was my lowest point of the whole night. Like, I thought that I was going to end up write, having to write up something about the Ford and Statlander match being a low point, which it wasn't bad. It was just a, kind of a non-entity. But the Sean Spears versus Dustin Rhodes thing, that sucked. And... It sucked on multiple level levels. They they didn't have like a feud really going into this. The foundation was essentially just Sean Spears doesn't like the Rhodes family. He hasn't for a year. Okay. And he challenged Dustin Rhodes to a match just because they just wanted to have him on the card. And they do this tease where it's like, well, he's not going to show up. And it's like, oh, but he does. And I'm thinking this would have been so much more fun to have somebody else show up. I don't know who, but somebody else showing up, that could have been fun. Instead, it's just like, oh, Dustin is there. And I'm like, ah, crap, we're going to have to have a match. <laughs> like, I really didn't want to see it. And the match itself turns into Sean Spears getting stripped and having uh, Tully Blanchard's face on his crotch and his ass ha- crack hanging out. And he loses to Dustin Rhodes. And I'm like, you accomplished nothing in this other than making Spears look worse. Dustin doesn't get anything out of this. He's not like going to get some world title push. Spears is already suffering from not looking like he's a relevant title contender, and now he is even more of a joke and further downward in a spiral. It wasn't funny, and I think that if you did this exact same thing, whoever, for the most part, is listening to this and watching this and whatever and loved this, I got a feeling if you watched this on WWE and it was literally a copy and paste, a lot of those people would hate it. And that kind of bugs me. I'll agree with you on the latter point, even though after I heard your disdain for this, I don't think I disliked this as much as you did. I just thought it was pointless. Uh, when Blanchard's face was on Tully's, was on a Spears' underwear, for a second I thought, like, they were trying to say that his 
dick was out because I only saw it from the corner of my eye and I went, well, what am I looking at? But uh, it is a fine bit. You know, like, Spears looks weak, but he'll survive. And Dustin looks good, and I guess yeah, that's it, important it's... for them. I'll just say that this is the, like, very low-level WWE stuff. Like, scraping the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, it's just not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just, yeah, it's just, I, it's hard to really, because I don't really associate AEW with this. It's not like I try and hide, lift them up on a higher pedestal or anything like that. It's just, you don't expect it to be this base and crass and really unfunny. Like, they, they made the talk about the fact that, oh, it's so embarrassing that he got stripped to his underwear, forgetting the fact that most wrestlers wrestle in what accounts, what essentially amounts to underwear in the first place anyway, so I can't really see how that's as big <laughs> I always an issue. love that. I love that, because you're right. It's like, you wrestle in less than that. Why are you upset about being in your boxers? Right. That's that whole argument of why yeah. are people so upset if you see them in lingerie, but they're f- totally fine with a bikini. Never makes any sense. Yeah, and they had to make it like they had to try and make it embarrassing by putting the picture of Tully Blanchard on the on the front of the pants just to make it seem like oh god that's that's so like oh how stupid is Sean Spears? What a dickhead that Tully is, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's just yeah it's just, it it doesn't do anything for either guy really, and I I guess the real thing is. If Spears thought that he was going to leave WWE and join uh, AEW and get a big, a bigger push, or at least be a more prominently featured guy, he's probably in the same position he was now as when he left uh, WWE as Ty Dillinger. He's in exactly so, he's the just, same position, except he, should, he has, yeah, he should, uh, yeah. The only difference is that good. I was gonna say the only difference now is that he's a heel that's a loser rather than a babyface that's a loser. Yeah, and that he's yeah, staying further I've away from him. his wife. I've seen him be like, oh, a spot on the card is a spot on the card. Okay, then why did you leave WWE? Mm-hmm. If that's going to be your argument when somebody says you're not doing anything in AEW, if you're going to say a spot on the card is a spot on the card, why did you leave WWE? Arguably as well, this is worse than the Perfect 10 gimmick because the Perfect 10 was like, hey, he's number 10 in the Royal Rumble. Isn't that fun? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just look at yeah, just look at his overall trajectory. I mean, he comes in reasonably hot with the Cody angle, but then he loses the match to Cody. Then he gets settled with Tony Blanchard, and you feel okay, this is going to be him. Give him a mouthpiece. This will give him a bit more emphasis. Then he just hangs around in mid card doing nothing. He has a feud with Joe Janela that goes nowhere. Then they start this quest for a tag team partner that just gets dropped for no reason. And now, now he's feuding with Dustin Rhodes, and despite that good, like Sean Spears TV segment from the previous Dynamite, now he's just been embarrassed again. So he's really not going anywhere in AEW. Yeah, he went from a jobber who had some potential, but they weren't clearly pushing, to a jobber who had some potential and they clearly aren't pushing. What's well, the next step down? Does he go to does he go to Ring of Honor now and then he becomes a jobber that he's not pushing and then you go down to Impact, then you go down to NWI and then Yeah, then he comes back eventually. and he's uh, Gavin Spears. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just not a big fan of this at all. My lowest point of the night by far. Mm. 
And we moved on to Hikaru Shida beating Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's World Championship in their no disqualification, no countout match, which was essentially a kendo stick match, which always bugs me because kendo sticks are my least favorite thing that they've done over the past bunch of years. It's just sort of this, like, ever since chairs stopped being a thing, everybody's just like kendo sticks all over the place. And they're just not as fun. I mean, it's certainly not like... Uh, dangerous so i'm not gonna be like you know oh everybody should just beat the shit out of each other's chairs but at the same time i don't really pop for kendo sticks so if an odq match is exactly the same as a normal match would be except for one table spot and a kendo stick being used then it's a normal match to me and i wasn't loving it uh i'm glad that she'd have won the title and i have no idea what the fuck she was wearing it was like I wrote down, this is five different outfits combined. Because <laughs> she had like half of a skirt and she had suspenders and all over the place there. But uh, that was like one of my biggest takeaways about this. I just didn't really love it or anything. I got another note. Pineapple Pete was like, why that table got to suffer? <laughs> I thought this fucking match um, was I think, oh, 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 before you go, Rob, because I know you absolutely love this. So I'm going to give you the floor once you have the opportunity to because i'll probably sit in the middle ground between you and tony because i thought this match was really good i wouldn't say it was it was bordering on great i don't think it went quite that far but i thought that shida shida was great shida was absolutely fantastic in this match i would give her so much credit for this she was having a lot of great like a lot of fiery kicks and she was running around all over the place after rose when when Rose is in control, the match kind of slowed down a little bit because she's not as mobile and not as active. But she was doing like the power spots really well. She either took a hell of a beating, going through tables, going through uh, like sending Nyla through a bunch of uh, poker chips and stuff like that. I I understand with Tony the idea that the kendo stick isn't really that remarkable weapon especially because what we've seen with WWE more recently. But I think that it makes sense because that is the thing that Shida is associated with. So it made sense to have it incorporated a lot into this match. Uh, I thought the idea that she had to wear Rose down constantly towards the end made for a good finish. I personally would have preferred maybe they just ended with the Falcon Arrow spot because that was like the big spot of the match rather than having to go through yeah. the constant running, running knees towards the end of it. Like you could have just cracked Rose over the head with the kendo stick, break the kendo stick there, and then hit the falcon arrow, and then you get the pinfall, and then that's more of a big moment than just having to constantly knee her down. But I guess it makes Rose look like the monster that she is, that she had to be worn down constantly and kept fighting back. So, but yeah, I'm I'm happy with the win. I think Sheeta makes most sense as the champion going forward. Obviously, now there's no Britt Baker and there won't be any Britt Baker for a while. So it changes the idea of who would be the next potential challenger for her. But I think that she has a lot of potential and I think she could be a really strong top female babyface for AEW going forward. She, If you wanted to highlight the Joshi division, she should have been the first champion to begin with. Sheeta is... So good in the ring. And it was on display in this match tenfold. And I can understand what Callum is saying about Nyla Rose and agree with that. But I was so happy to see Sheeta shine. 
And I thought the no DQ gimmick actually worked well. I thought it enhanced the match and what the match could become. I will agree with Callum on the Falcon Arrow spot. That's all three of us agree but, with that. That Falcon nice. Arrow spot should have been the end, for sure. Yeah, it should have been. It's like, nobody should kick out of the top rope Falcon Arrow. But, you know, say la vie. And I thought this was really good. The only thing I didn't like, and I won't harp on it, was the... Unle- I don't know the relationship between the two girls, but they kept insisting that this was a big moment for uh, Sheeta because of what just tragically happened with Hannah Kimura. And I just don't know if, like, I would have wanted to keep bringing that up and bringing that up. That was a really tragic thing that I think people would have rather found an escape from with this. Again, I think it obviously depends on what the relationship between Hannah Kimura and Hikaru Shida are. I don't know how if they ever really interacted that much because I wasn't following their careers as closely. But if this is saying like, I mean, who knows, maybe the fact that the outfit that Tony pointed out like had so many different things about it, it did, to me, bear at least a little resemblance to what Kimura used to wear. Yeah, it so had that some Cyber Squad vibes. Yeah, so maybe it had that sort of influence to it. So maybe that was part of it, and they wanted to tell that story, and maybe they informed Sheeta about it, and she was happy, she was okay with doing it. And I understand the idea that people want to escape from it, but maybe people just wanted to see it. They they wanted to see uh, AEW give some sort of tribute to her, which they did. They gave her a little um a little like a graphic. And, and Excalibur was very forthwith with with what he said, which I thought was really good. But that was my only little nitpick. But again, if they were close, then by all means, please go for it. And I'm really glad that she was champion. Yeah, yeah. And essentially, just in case anyone needs to hear it, although I don't expect any of our fan base needs to hear hear this sort of stuff. But don't troll wrestlers online. Don't don't tag them in posts and insult insult them or anything oh, like that. Hold on. What? Don't don't we, troll anybody online. Don't no don't, no not anyone. Yeah. Don't be a fucking dick. Yeah. <laughs> and just what happened was an awful tragedy. And you know, reach out if you feel like you need to, and don't be a dick. There's the difference between playful ball busting and being a jerk and being awful. Mm. Know the limits. If you don't know the limits, don't say anything. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. We moved on to the AEW World Championship match: John Moxley against Mister Brody Lee. They reiterated, "Hey, did you know Brody Lee doesn't like when people sneeze?" I get it. It's a Vince parody. You keep denying it. Come on. Honestly, this didn't really hold my attention, and partially that's just me to blame. So if I went back and I watched it, maybe I would have to have an opinion, but. From what I did see here and there, uh, you know, it wasn't the full 100% scope of my attention, but what I did see, I was feeling disappointed again because I thought that this would have been better as a no-DQ match, and I feel like the best spot of the night was a no-DQ type of spot, which was the paradigm uh, shift through the stage. So I can't help but feel like maybe that's where they should have gone. Maybe the Nyla Rose match shouldn't have been no DDQ or something like that. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. Maybe they're going to do an ODQ match down the line and they just want to stretch this out a little bit. 
I didn't expect the match to be one with a sleeper either. So the fact that Brady Lee didn't tap out or didn't get pinned, maybe they have a little bit of wiggle room there. But if that's the case, then we're getting back into one of those things that WWE does, and I got to fault them for this too. Uh, you know, anybody who does it. Anytime that I feel like something happens and you're building something up and when you get to the end result, the end result is, well, we're not going to give you all of it because we want you to just do this again. It's bothersome to me. So either this is their one match and I was underwhelmed or this was setting up another match, in which case just do that match. You know? I... I would say that I really enjoyed this match as well. I thought that I I can understand maybe some, there's some sort of feeling of underwhelming, maybe the, the no DQ thing, but I kind of walked out of this match feeling like they did everything they kind of needed to do if it was no DQ match without like needing to just resort to weapons or anything like that, which I don't think would have added any value to it by the end. By the end, I didn't think it added any value because these guys just beat the shit out of each other anyway. So I didn't feel any in any way disappointed they weren't using weapons or they weren't using any sort of like table spots or anything like that. Because essentially Moxley went through a table. Well, actually, uh, hot, uh, Lee went through a table at one point. Moxley and Lee both went through the stage. Uh, uh, Moxley went through um, like a guardrail at some point. So, yeah, they basically did everything they needed to do that could be kind of conveyed as not being a disqualification, even though you'd still see those sort of spots in an ODQ match. And yeah, it was just, it was very, very physical. Uh, the thing I appreciated the most out of this was the fact that it was like markedly different from most of the other, pretty much every other match on the entire show was just how physical and how like very like Japanese New Japan style it was. So I really appreciated it. And for, even though it wasn't my favorite match of the night, it was still a fitting main event of the, you know, the, the actual stuff that was taking place in the arena. I, at first, I was very much in line with Tony, and I wasn't feeling it, and maybe that was just me, because, like, it was getting later and later and later, and I just wasn't feeling the length of the show, but when they turned it up, and they started rolling on the outside, and they did a paradigm shift through the ring, and then you think it's just over and Brody Lee starts kicking out like a monster. They sold me on Brody Lee with the end of this match. And I think he's going to do even better things than I initially thought. And I'm okay with the chokeout finish because Brody Lee doesn't tap. Brody Lee doesn't submit. Brody Lee doesn't get pinned. He just happened to lose consciousness for a second. And I'm good with that. And while I'm talking here about John Moxley, it was confirmed via a virtual media scrum that Fighter Fest is returning and it will be headlined by John Moxley against Brian Cage. Uh, when is it supposed well, that... to take place? We will find out on Dynamite. Huh. Strange. Well, well, at least we've got that. That will clear it up then. But yeah, I mean, I think that this match has done would do has done more for me personally to strengthen my, the appeal of the Brody Lee character than anything that I've seen on Dynamite so far. So that's that was the positive that I took away from it. And yeah, it's, it makes sense that Moxley holds onto the title, even if it kind of I don't think I don't think it hurts Lee too much, but he needs to come back with something that kind of makes the Dark Order feel like they're meaningful at this point because. 
they keep losing op- uh, opportunities so they need some there needs to be some sort of backlash i'm not saying that that's necessarily a bad thing as long as there's a response there's a story built up surrounding that if it's just a case that they've just lost interest in a dark order and they're slowly phasing them out that's not a good sign I have nothing else to say about that other than uh, the main event. Anything else you guys have oh. for the championship? I want to say something about the championship, but I want to say something about the arena show before we move on to the thing that happened in the stadium. Uh, big Swole was essentially a big part in basically every match that took place on that show, on this show, because she was just so animated at ringside. And a lot of people really enjoyed it. I found it a little bit overbearing on some of the matches where she was basically just getting in the face of people like Lance Archer and Nyla Rose constantly. It's like she was just gearing up to jump the barricade every time a heel came anywhere near her. I didn't. So I yeah, I, thought, I didn't catch all that. I saw her here and there. I, I thought she. I thought she was great. I thought um, Vicky was a little too overanimated. If they're not going to do anything with her, I thought that was a little strange. At some point, she was almost overbearing, like her WWE character. But I think they have consistently done the no fans shows better than WWE. Oh, there's no question about it. This is so much easier to watch. Mm. And it's just a case of the fact that they they technically do have fans, but they're just the wrestlers, which is even better, really, because then they're fans that you can tell to do what they're supposed to to do, how they're supposed to respond to different people and. I've, it's 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 starting to like form my head that actually wrestlers also make the best fans, like because they all like go along with the story a lot more than fans actually will do. Oddly enough, not the opposite around that. Fans don't always make the best wrestlers. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was a lot easier to handle um, than something like Money in the Bank. And for that matter, mm. uh, cinematic matches go. We had the stadium stampede match that was the main event of the night. Inner Circle against the Elite. The Elite comes out victorious. I thought that this was so fun. Uh, mm. I really loved that I had uh, Caroline next to me watching it, and she was going, this makes no sense. Straight men are so weird. What, why are they all fighting each other? Why are they all fighting at the same time? This is like opening up a bag of chips, and uh, the chips fall all over the place, and you don't know what to do next. <laughs> Why, why, why does why the line about street men being weird? Always <laughs> <laughs> so, the food references. She's consistent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I uh, popped about that, but I loved this. Uh, the football entrances, you know, being silly, and there's a difference between the the silly of this and the silly of the Sean Spears thing. Like the one of them is kind of uh, playing more to my sense of humor than the other one is because like, yeah, they've got the football field. They're having the football entrances kind of funny of the inner circle is like, all right, well you're number 93 and you're whatever. And uh, you know, they have the cheerleaders, they have a horse. Uh... I, I enjoyed the horse. <laughs> they're like, they're, it's a whole checklist of things. I wrote down a bunch of different stuff here. Yeah. There's so much that happens in this match that it's hard to really just break all of it down. Uh, I can well tell me up like as an overall thing, just saying this is probably the most fun match that I've seen all year. It's not the best match I've seen all year because I still can't technically class any of these these cinematic matches as quote unquote matches. 
because they're just not bell to bell things. And so I, I kind of seen them as like their own outside category. I almost feel like when we, if we were to do like a like award show, we'd have to have an actual like cinematic match category as opposed to just uh, typical matches. But I was, I was had a smile on my face basically from the start of this all the way through because some bits were a bit too goofy. Like I'm, I'm still don't know entirely about the whole Hardy switching characters midway through the match. Like maybe that's going a little bit too far, but it's just a load of fun, and I really enjoyed pretty much everything that happened in this. Yeah, this was fantastic. Uh, just to go through a few of my favorite things, I enjoyed, like I said, everything Sammy Guevara did, especially running away from the horse, um, Hangman drinking in the bar, and then. He slides the glass over to Hager and he goes, did you come here to fight or did you come here to drink? And yeah. And uh, they just start fighting. And then he has a moment where he actually kind of makes up with Kenny Omega and hands him some milk because I guess Omega doesn't drink. And they have that nice little moment. Uh, Matt Hardy and the Lake of Reincarnation stuff. The Matt Facts returned. That was, that was, that was I popped for that really loud. Yeah, like that was fantastic. I enjoyed the stupidity that was Matt Jackson, uh, Northern Lights yeah. suplexing. That was the greatest. That was my favorite spot of the entire thing. That was one of my favorites for sure. And then they get to the end zone, and he spikes Guevara's head down like if he's spiking a football. I thought that was great. Well, uh, the Alex he, Wright celebration. And then that celebration gets him a flag for... Uh, <laughs> and then he super kicks the ref. Yeah. The use of just, the flag for... I want to do the recount. Uh, the replay of the, the pinfall count. Yeah. Uh, I, I was Jericho having... Hitting the Ju- oh, J- Jericho hitting the Judas effect on the mascot. That was... <laughs> I was having flashbacks of the Simpsons football and the groin when Jericho got hit with the football. <laughs> Uh, we have the version one thing. We have the whole thing with the uh, Ortiz can't swim. I I was not expecting uh, there was a pool there. Did not know the layout of that. So that was like I don't know where. Why I was, not? Like, There's <laughs> a pool. Okay, whatever. I wrote. I enjoyed the cheerleaders just being like just on the sidelines for whatever reason. I guess because they're just there. They're at their disposal. They really did a good job with this. We have this room to play with. Let's play. Right. And I also wrote down this as one of these things. This was not a planned moment, but I thought that this was one of the most unintentionally hilarious ones. Uh, Jim Ross trying to play around with the whole, like, uh, how Matt Hardy says things as, like, the bucks of youth or whatever. He said instead of for the wheelchair, (laughs) instead of the wheel of chairs, he said the the chair of wheels. no, it's instead, instead of the chair, of the wheels, chair wheels, wheels. Instead of the chairs, I'm doing the opposite thing. I'm uh, pulling up Jim Ross on this. The wheel of chairs is what he had said, which to me, I just pictured this big Ferris wheel with just a whole bunch of chairs attached to it. I thought that that was hilarious. Uh, there was a lot of stuff like, uh, you know, what are we even seeing? What T- Tony? He's uh, Jr. was trying his best to do the whole. I know football. Like he goes on a little forty-five second thing about Dick Buckus being number fifty-one. I thought that was a good time. Everybody played their role very strongly here, and then of course it ends with Sammy Guevara eating a fucking one-winged angel off the stands because Sammy Guevara is 
making it known that he's the workhorse that would, you know, take anything right now. He got hit with the golf cart again. No, he got chased by the golf cart. Didn't he? Oh no, that's right. Because he he, he ran the entire length of the field. <laughs> Fantastic. He yeah, yeah. is gonna go so far. Yeah, it's hard to really pick on like an MVP in this match because just how like all everyone really got a chance to shine and do some really cool stuff. But I just constantly find myself drawn to Sammy Guevara and just how incredible he is, just this sheen heel that just never ever gets his way, but always just comes back, always feeling so cocky and confident about every situation he's about to go into, even though he always ends up on the losing side of things. It's just he's he's like a I don't know, he's not a jobber, but he's like the basically should be a jobber, but he's like the perfect jobber in the sense that he's pretty much untouchable because he can always come back and win a title the very next week and you don't really question it. Yeah, this was just a lot of fun. Easily my favorite part of the night. And uh... I wanted to be mad that it was 12 o'clock in the morning, but I couldn't be because I was enjoying myself, you know? Yeah. So I guess that's a good way to go. Definitely the good way to go. And um, the highlight of the night, as far as I'm concerned. And I'm still looking forward to the Blood and Guts match, even though I don't think it's going to be as good as this one is. But that's going to be a different sort of affair, so maybe it'll be good in a different way. But at the very least, if this is the end of the feud and they don't do that, I'm cool with it. This was fun. They're going to do it, Tony. They will, but you never know. I Look in February, do we know any of this stuff was going to happen this year? <laughs> you know? Fair point. So, when uh, the murder hornets go away and when the next big thing happens for June, God knows what we have ahead of us. But, um, yeah, that's double or nothing. Uh, some good things, some bad things. Nothing horrible about it, so that's really good. Uh, but overall, I'm happy with it. It's not the best thing in the world, but I got some highlights. It's cool. How are you guys feeling about it overall? Thumbs up. Yeah, overall, I think this is... I walked away with a smile on my face, and that's usually all I ask for, but I think that this was one of the... Be- this is the best show, in my opinion, of the entire, like, coronavirus era, from start to finish. I really hope that we don't end up making this, like, a full-on era. <laughs> it seems like it is, but it's going to be weird to be like... Well, WWE uh, will, in their documentary series that will come up after this. Yeah, it seems weird to have to go from, like... You know, the golden age and like the uh, attitude era, and new gen era, and ruthless aggression era, and COVID era. Like, it was just kind of. Well, they won't call it the COVID era. They'll call it just the, the no fans era or the empty arena era or something like that because they can't use the yeah. word COVID. They're called the cinematic but... era. You guys know they're not going to credit anything to a virus. Maybe the it's... prevailing circumstances era. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just the empty era or something. It's quick and efficient. The. I don't know. Well, we'll see how that happens in the future. But um, at least as far as the future is concerned, that's it for this week for the show. Uh, next week, we're going to roll along with we're going to do hot tags, of course. And we were still debating a little bit about back and forth about what the uh, main event's going to be. It's either going to be a tier list of the WWE roster or or I should say end or depending on what circumstances and what time we have and stuff. Possibly the uh, takeover in your house reference being a fan ounce table of the first in your house from the WWF era might do that. I don't know. Still trying to figure it out. That'll happen probably on Wednesday or so. So stay tuned and it'll happen when it happens. 
As I mentioned before, if you subscribe to the channel and you ring that little notification bell, then you'll be aware of when those things get posted, whatever it ends up being. And uh, then we're going to keep things going along with the rest of the stuff over the next couple of weeks. We've got the takeover in your house stuff to go into. We've got backlash and more and more pay-per-views and we're just going to kind of roll along here. But hopefully if you enjoyed this and you enjoyed all the thing el things that we've been doing else outside of this, you'll continue to enjoy everything else we've got going forward. I got my plugs out of the way. These guys have some other plugs, though. Rob? Yeah, if you've been enjoying this and you want more wrestling, you can check out WrestleZone.com and Fightful.com. I'll be on Fightful for the rest of the weekend, covering all the goodness of AEW, including the Fighter Fest announcement I just spoke about earlier. And if you want to follow me personally, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at DudeFelice. Callum? You can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. And if you haven't got enough wrestling from WrestleZone and Fightful, then head on over to smartcatmoment.com and check out all the articles on there, including my weekly contribution, the Power Rankings. But every other weekly article, every other editorial, every other little bit and pieces, check out the heel and face thing because I know Tony loves that. And, uh, yeah, that's it for me. All right, everybody, as I mentioned before, hopefully you've enjoyed this and you've enjoyed the podcast and all the other kind of things that go along with that. But whatever your opinion is, drop them in the comments below. Keep the discussion going. We'll be responding to those comments that you put out there, and we will see you next time. But for now, this has been another Smart Out moment, and we're being counted out. Ah!